wrapping up a series of messages we've called Unfazed. And what we've been doing for the last five weeks is digging into the book of Psalms from the Bible. It's, it's a go-to book for prayer and praise and to see the help God gives for various kinds of trouble. That's what we've been, been dealing with. And the thing I appreciate about the authors of, of Psalms and uh, just Bible in general is they share with us very raw emotions. The same kind of feelings that you and I would have if we were going through the same kinds of things. And so we can connect with them. I mean, it resonates with us as we see what they're saying, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And they take us on a journey with them. And they always arrive. They, they take us on this journey. We're walking the path. And then they arrive at the truth. And so we learn from them. We learn, first of all, what to do with our thoughts and our emotions as we struggle with life and what it's giving to us. And then we learn the truth as they arrive at the right conclusions about what's going on. I find it very helpful to me, and I hope this series has been a help to you. What we've done so far, here's a a brief review We've looked at how to be unfazed by distraction. In our world, distraction is a daily threat. We define distraction. Uh, one of the di- dictionary definitions is to be extremely agitated. When you get agitated by what's going on in your life, it's you know easy to not focus on exactly what you need to focus on, but we really need to do that. So it's a fight to stay focused on God's truth. Knowing where to lead your mind when you're agitated is the key to moving forward in life, making the right kind of progress, and experiencing the joy that God has for us. The next week, we looked at intimidation, how to be unfazed by it. And, And it's not that you're unfazed as in, you know, you're just rock solid, never bothered by anything. But it's once you do get bothered... How do you find the courage to hold up under it and move forward? So we looked at intimidation the second week um, and the help God provides against threats of all kinds. And we learned that gaining an accurate grasp of God's character and power fortifies us in the face of our enemies. Uh, We looked at uncertainty the next week. Uncertainty, I don't know about you, but I can get unhinged by unsinged. Wow, what is that? I think that means not burned. (laughs) But I can get, when I'm facing uncertain times, I get unhinged by it sometimes. I mean, it's really easy to start coming apart. But Psalm 46 points to the resources God provides for those who run to him. Last week, we looked at how to face sickness in faith. And the purposes God has for sickness, why it exists in our world today, um, and how God wants us, you know, we, we struggle with it, but he wants us to land in the place where we trust him with the very number of our days. He knows the exact number. So we settle that. We trust him with that. There are many things that can rattle us in this life, and, and this series 
we've been trying to focus on how to flourish despite the concerns in us and around us that are going on. So today, I want to talk about how to be unfazed by culture. And I mean something very specific by culture. The term culture, it has medical uh, nuances. It has all kinds of, you know, laboratory nuances. But this is what I mean by culture. This is the definition I want to focus on. The customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group. Also, the characteristic features of everyday existence, such as diversions or a way of life shared by people in a place or time. Now, what we're basically talking about is uh, the United States has a culture, and the human race has a culture, and there are characteristics of the culture that we live in. Some are good, some are bad. But the American culture, the U.S., the culture in the United States is the backdrop for this message. But families have a culture. Regions have a culture. You know, Southern Cal and Northern Cal, very different. Same state, but a different culture. We have a culture here at Church in the Valley, and what we're aiming to do is be a culture that when you get around us, that you're pulled like a river toward the things that God values toward his kingdom, the things that are important to him, and toward the things that God thinks is important. That, that's, that's the culture we're trying to create. I grew up in Southgate, California, real close to downtown L.A. And when I was about eight, we had a new pastor come to be the pastor of the church there. And my family was really involved. We were always at church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, probably other times whenever the doors were open. But he likes to tell the story of how when he first came, that I would stand right next to him. And he thought, this is, this is pretty cool. This, this guy's got something on the ball, man. He, he, really, he, he really must be spiritually minded young kid. I think I was seven or eight, you know, something like that. And he, he really was impressed with my desire to stay close to him until he found out why. I liked the way he talked. He had a Texas drawl. He was from Beaumont, Texas. And I liked to listen to that drawl. And it was likely because I was familiar with it. Every summer we would go visit my grandparents in Odessa, Texas. Smells like burning oil, but that means money to them. <laughs> and we would go we would go visit them in Odessa, Texas, and I just had this affinity toward Texans and draws. It, it just sort of made me feel all warm inside. So he was less impressed when he found out why <laughs> why. But for a Christian, for a Christ follower, the culture of the world is like his accent was to me. It's familiar. It has a draw to it. We can identify with it. And it pulls us toward its values. It, it pulls us in the direction that it wants to take us. And the reason it can phase us is because it keeps trying to influence, uh, influence us to try to do life without God. 
It's pulling us away to try to live life independent of God. So today, I'm talking about the culture in the world at large that we live in today and how it can derail us in our walk with God. It's, it's, it's familiar to us like the text is a drawl to me and it draws us toward it. it. It's pull has an effect something like this. I'd like to watch, watch this clip with you from The Bug's Life. No, Harry, no, don't look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. No, Harry. That's what happens. We get drawn in, we get drawn in, and then we get zapped. Because we pay a price. If, If we get into the culture... And it phases us. It gets our attention and we can't get our focus off of it. Then we, we end up getting zapped. It can phase us because we're immersed in an environment that tends to turn our heart away from what's important to God. And then we begin to make choices and decisions that impact us. And if, if we don't line up with God's way, with his will and his way, we hurt ourselves. This is, this is what happens. We get zapped. It, it may or may not be hostile on the surface to us, but there's a current that pulls us to try to live life without God and can cause damage and even destruction if we're not careful. So our culture pulls us to try to flourish apart from God. We see this in the Psalms. A big test for a Christian is deciding that life with God is better than life without him. And because we're immersed in this culture, because there's this draw like the light, um, we, we have to fight against this. We have to deal with it. We might struggle with it, but we need to land in the right place. We need to arrive at the correct conclusion. You know, looking at the outside of a person doesn't give us an accurate picture Have you ever wondered why someone that is despicable seems so happy? I know I have. Have you ever wondered why they have great clothes, awesome friends, successful job, freedom, they travel the world, they they have friends, they, they do what they want when they want it, they have the money to do what they want when they want it? It looks like from... Your vantage point, from my vantage point, that they're really experiencing the good life. They are just loving life. I I felt that way. I think most of us here in this room have. The psalm specifically addresses this struggle. The psalmist, as I said, keep bringing us into the raw emotions they feel and shows us what to do with them. Here's Psalm 73, 1 through 3. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's a quick wrong turn in this passage. You sense it? (laughs) It goes south. It starts out great. starts out with a very 
awesome statement. And then it turns south. My steps nearly slipped. It starts with the goodness of God to the pure in heart, but it ends in envy, which dirties a clean and pure heart. So he's looking around and he's seeing the arrogant, the wicked, and their apparent prosperity, and he is frustrated with that. You know, we can only see the outside of a person. We can't do an MRI of their spirit. We couldn't see anything anyway, could we? MRI, you know, oh, I think that's their spirit. It's invisible to me. You know, we couldn't do that. It wouldn't happen. We, we can begin to believe, since that's the case, we can b- begin to believe that life with Christ is worse than life without him. If Christ followers don't have a foundation of truth, to sort these, these things out. Christianity is very disappointing. We arrive at conclusions that leave us empty like a mirage. They damage our family, our friendships, our work relationships, our work effort, our ministry. Because even as we're you know, trying to serve God, culture is pulling us in a certain direction. And it can ruin us. We, we have to watch this. What I decided to do is walk you through a very brief comparison of the usual value scale in culture, our culture, the world at large, and the Bible's value scale. Now, my intent is, if you're taking notes, it's going to be possibly difficult. You might be able to do it, but... Rather than get this down on paper, I would like you to think about the connections. Because if our priorities, what happens is these, these feelings and these emotions, they, they draw us, the cultural values, they, they draw us to jumble up our priorities according to God's will. And so we need to be careful. So I'd like to walk through these. In the usual value scale, uh, and this scale resonates with it. It's very familiar to us. Uh, the focus is me first. In the Bible's value scale, it's God first. If, if me first, you, you, your friends and your family and your coworkers, they can't trust you. Because they, you're unpredictable. You're not, you, you are putting you first and you're going to do whatever you can to get your way what you want. So you're not building trust. You're, you're creating an atmosphere of distrust because you're not looking out for their interest. You're covering yourself and that makes perfect sense in the world. But if you put God first, what God's going to do, he's going to lead you and I. To do the most loving thing toward the people around us. And we have, we have a vantage point that we, we, we have a, an authority we sit under. So no matter how we feel, no matter what we want to do in relating to our husband or wife, we know what God wants. We set our heart to do that. If you put God first, that's what you do. Feelings, emotions, they can jumble up these priorities. And we can, we can put me first, but people pay a price. If you're 
putting me first on the job over the company's best interest, over the boss's best interest, you're going to damage things. You're going to get zapped eventually because they're going to figure that out. So anyway, this is important. The number one priority in the usual value scale is my desires to get what I want. In the Bible's value scale, it's God's desires, what pleases God. This is what we set up as our number one priority in any situation that we're handling and that we're dealing with in our life. There's this pull to put my desires as number one, but Bible says put God's desires as number one. Number two priority is enough. We'll just say it's enough in the value scale, the usual one. In the Bible's value scale, it's people. Now, the, the usually what we want to have is enough so that I can have the life I want, so that I can have enough of what I need to enjoy myself. E- enough of what I need to make what I want a reality. And the Bible's value scale, what's more important than that is to treat people rightly, to do right by them. If I'm focused on getting enough to make me happy, then I'm going to possibly manipulate the people around me to get what I want. I'm just going to use them like chess pieces, move them around the board so that I can get what I want. Number three priority in the usual value scale is personal peace. I just don't want to be hassled. Just, just don't, don't hassle me. Okay, that's a high value. In the Bible's value scale, it's God's kingdom moving forward. Even at my inconvenience. Even if it costs my personal peace. I'm going to move, I'm going to work to move the kingdom forward. You know what happens when you put that above your personal peace? You have an incredible amount of purpose in your life. You you begin then to live for something so much larger than yourself. You begin to live a very significant life. Number four priority is work on both scales. The usual one and the Bible's scale. Um, They have different reasons for being where they are, though, on the two scales. Uh, The usual value scale is I work as the key to having enough money to do what I want or to get what I want. On the Bible's value scale, work means you earn enough to live and give. So I earn enough. I want to earn enough to live, take care of my responsibilities And beyond my responsibilities, give to God's kingdom, to God's purposes, to other people in need. So there's a little different twist there. But what you find if you if you work to live and give is that we, we have a generosity gene built into us. And as we start giving our life away and the things that are very important to us, that's where you find joy. That's where life starts to come together. Um, 
Number five, priority, family, and other things on the usual value scale. We would never say this. This, the, the world would never say this. Family right now is the apparent number one. But actually, the reason family is number one on the usual value scale right now is because it helps me get what I want. I want admiration. I want this from my family. And so... Family and other things, number five, uh, on the Bible's value scale, value scale uh, number five is other responsibilities. And then number six, God's desires, if I have any time or money left over, I'll, I'll do what God wants. Um, and then on the Bible's value scale, my desires are, are number six, they're last. And And what you find is, By putting my desires last, I make choices that please God and bring his blessing into my life, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what happens. This is the way God set life up to work. No one can truly flourish in their life by living life independent from God. You cannot do it. We get phased by culture when our priorities get all jumbled up because there's a pull toward these things. It's the culture in the world at large, that, at large that's the slippery slope. We start sliding down because it resonates with our hearts and it pulls us down and we end up jumbling up our priorities and we hurt ourselves as we do that. It pulls us away from God, the one who made us, and knows the best way to live. Psalm 37 is where I want to land today. And I'm going to wrap up the message. Don't get too excited. I'm about in the middle. I didn't, I didn't want you to. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to, to lunch early today. <laughs> ah, that was a slip of the tongue there. I didn't want you to get too worked up. Um, anyway, we're going to land here for, for a little bit. Appropriate amount of time. <laughs> At Psalm 37, it shows us some key ways to live out these priorities. Some key factors as we set out to do that. And it tells us that committing to God's way in faith is the way to flourish. This is how you do it. Psalm 37, 5 and 6. This is one of my verses that is in my mind and heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. This is, this is something I pray I do a lot. God, I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to give it to you. I know you'll act. I know you'll do exactly what you want. It may not be what I want, but I know you'll do exactly what you want. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice the highest priorities in that passage. Righteousness and justice. We don't just swim with the current of the culture, but we focus on what's righteous, which means doing what's right before God. And this is how it helps If God's number one, 
Because we're not concerned at work, in our families, in friendships, in the ministry. We're not concerned about what we want over what God wants. We put him first. And righteousness means simply to do what's right before God. So my number one concern in the situations that I face as life flows by is, God, what do you want here? I want to do that. Justice is simply doing what's right by people. So here we're back to those priorities that we looked at. Righteousness and justice. If these priorities are the way we live as we handle the flow of life, we shine in the culture. We, we are glowing lights that people see. And they can pick up how to live God's way as we, as we do that. And on top of that, we're blessed. We're blessed by God. David gives very specific guidance on committing to God's way. The first thing he says is stop comparing. Now we're going to back up. We went to the middle, sort of, of Psalm 37, at least the passage, the verses we're going to look at today, and we're backing up. He says, stop comparing. There is never a win in comparison whenever we compare. Psalm 37, 1 and 2 says about the same thing Psalm 73 said. Fret not yourself, Because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. It's a mirage to believe that the way of the world will work out better than God's way in the end. So David says, don't waste your time growing envious or stewing over what others have. Don't do that. Sometimes you look at people, all you can see is the the outside, and it looks something like this. A sweeping green meadow. I believe there's a picture. Is there no picture? Oh, there's no picture. Imagine this. (laughs) A sweeping green meadow. (laughs) Ah, It didn't end up in there. Um, this this uh, This is what David says. We all experience this. The grass always looks green on the other side. When we look at those who don't account for God, all we see is this sweeping green meadow that you're imagining in your mind. First week of this series, I mentioned the importance of growing deep roots in the Word of God. And we're going to look at that passage at the end of today. But the growing deep roots is the key to flourishing in God's truth, God's Word. In a relationship with God. That, that's how you flourish in life. If our roots are shallow, what's lush right now will turn into a dying meadow. And I don't think we have the picture of that either. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> this is David's experience. He's saying that people are tempted to envy, but we need to use a longer view to evaluate what's going on in this world. So later in the psalm, David writes this in verse 35. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Then though I sought him, he could not be found. So we need to take a longer view. We need to live this life in light of eternity. 
Life independent from God seems so promising, but like a thriving tree. However, this life moves on to the next, and it's not good for the wicked there. It it is not good. It doesn't go well. So David said, the first first step to dealing with uh, life and committing to living God's way is to stop comparing. Second, start delighting. Verse 3 and 4 give us a crucial focus. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight means that you find pleasure in something because it's become highly valuable to you. And we looked at this the first week as well. The Word of God, as you get into it, you, you, don't, you don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads you. And God speaks to you. And if you'll learn to listen to God in the Word, then that becomes very valuable to you. You, you cherish it. You will not give it up. The slippery slope in our culture encourages us, though, to ignore God. So our delighting doesn't flow. Our delighting in God, and it just seems awkward at first, and then it can seem awkward at times because the culture, the world at large, is one of the enemies that we have to deal with. We're sucked into its way of thinking. We're, it's, it's a current that we have to swim against. Not only that, our flesh remains. After you decide to follow Christ, you still have this Fall back default mode to your old strategies, your old ways of thinking, and that lines up with the world. So it makes perfect sense. And then you add, you add, you know, the world, our own flesh, and then you add in the devil. And he's yanking our chain. And he's, he's working through all of these ways to Take us down to draw us toward the light and get zapped. That's, that's what he wants. Psalm 37 tells us to befriend faithfulness. I, I like that. Make it your best friend wherever you go. <laughs> Isn't that a great picture? Invest your life now, right where you are, in your family, at work, with your friends, in the ministry. Be faithful. Make it, make faithfulness your best friend. This is how you delight in the Lord because you're reflecting well on Him. You honor Him. Doing good is the key to having a good day. I I like, now I'm from the 70s. Well, okay, I I was, was, I'm from the 50s. (laughs) But I sort of, you know, I was in high school in the 70s. And remember this guy? I think it's up here. Yeah, that guy. Have a nice day. That, that was a big thing in the 70s. Started out the little smiley face. Have a nice day. Well, what you find in Scripture, there's some real keys to having a nice day. And the keys to having a good day are found in... This passage we're looking at, and also in Psalm 34, this is a passage that really means a lot to me. Psalm 34, 10 through 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Now, 
I want to have a good day. You want to have a good day. We all want to have a good day. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Notice it's not me first. <laughs> if, if, if you want to have a good day, it's not me first. It's doing right by God and setting your heart to do good by the people around you. Finally, David says in Psalm 37, 7 through 9, wait. So stop, start, and wait for the Lord's blessing. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Waiting is never easy. We don't like to wait, especially as technology rolls past and things get faster and faster and faster. Yet the Lord gives specific promises in Psalm 37, and the promises are listed on your handout. I'm just going to leave it to you to read through them later. But he promises peace, not peace at all costs, not, not the lack of unsettling circumstances, but this sense of well-being in the middle of those circumstances. Because you're not putting your hope in what's going on right here. You're putting your hope in God. You're delighting in him. You're saying, God, whatever happens today in these circumstances, I want you to be pleased. I want you to be honored. And I want you to use them for your purpose. So God gives peace. He gives more than enough. Not enough to do everything I want, but more than enough based on what I need. He, he gives generational blessing. If you put me first and you're relating to your family, they're picking that up. They're going to start doing the same thing. And, and it's not going to go well because patterns are being bred into the family that are going to infect it for generations. And, and God gives generational blessing to those who set their heart on him. And then a future. Psalm 37, 37. Says that God will give a future and a hope to the people who delight in him and trust him with their life. What, what I hope you take away from this message this morning is culture doesn't hold the key to life the way we really want. But God does. Culture doesn't hold the key. So we need to swim against it. And, you know, that's the way it is. Culture has a current going one direction. And if you decide to follow Christ, you're going to need to swim against it over and over and over again. I don't climb on the raft and let it take me wherever it's going to go. I'm in the river swimming against the culture that's there. Let's look again at Psalm 1. This is where we started. It was the backdrop of what we're talking about. Verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The word prosper in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word that literally means to push forward. The idea is you're making the right kind of progress in life. In the right kind of things. We, We all have stewardships. Our life's a stewardship. Our family is a stewardship. Our role in the family is a stewardship that we have. Uh, our work, our ministry, if you're following Christ and you're trying to serve, your ministry is a stewardship. We will make the right kind of progress if we soak up the Word of God, let it change our minds, and begin to live it out. We'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. The imagery in this passage is that of that kind of tree, by a rich water source. It's the opposite of being near a contaminated water source, which is going to dry you up. It's not going to help. It's going to create disease and problems. Psalm 1 shows us that we have to steer our mind away from the wrong thinking to thrive. Especially when we're perplexed by what's going on. Wrong thoughts not grounded in reality according to God and his word bring more agitation. It's like hopping in the washing machine when it's in the agitation cycle. Psalm 1 shows us that knowing where to lead our mind to focus is the key to joy. And where we should focus is on the truth that's found in the word of God. To have the life God wants for us, we must delight in God's word and refuse to slide down the slippery coat, the slippery slope of the culture. Where we will be, if we do that, we will be like the tree in this series graphic. Ian did a great job with this. We, we bear fruit that blesses many. Our stewardships prosper. We make progress in them. This is a very important thing to grasp. As I wrap up this morning, I encourage you to think through a way to respond personally to the truth in the message. I'd like to ask the band to to come up to get ready to lead us again. Would you take a next step? There's some suggested next steps that you can consider taking today. Or there aren't any suggestions. Say, hey, take that back. There are no suggested steps that you can take, but I thought I'm just going to give you an opportunity to think it through for yourself. As the band uh, begins the next song, as they get ready to, just take a moment to think through what God wants you to do as a result of this message. And as a reminder, I'd love for you to stay for the baptism ceremony uh, immediately following a service in the courtyard. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that really does set us free, God. We get all tangled up by the things that are going on in our lives, by the culture around us. Help us, God, to stay strong in you and rest in what we can find out is true by trusting you. Help us to do this, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.